All right. Ooh, that was, sorry. Good morning. So as, as you guys know, I'm Adam Hatley. I'm the youth pastor here at The Gathering, and I had the honor today to be sharing with you a message that God has laid on my heart. And um, unfortunately, the reason I am here to share today is not just because I've been given the opportunity, but because also tragedy has struck. And so before we go any farther, I did want to take a moment and pray for Pastor Paul, for Miss Wendy, for Sydney Parker, Will Jenkins, and their whole family for uh, the loss. And so we're going to take a moment just to pray for them real quick. So God, thank you for just an, an amazing opportunity to come to you in prayer, God, in, in a time of loss, Lord. We ask that you would just be with the whole Jenkins family, God, with Wendy, with her mom. Lord, we ask that you would just give them peace, that you would wrap them in your arms, and that you would just show them such amazing love. And so we are excited to hear about how how comforted they are by you, God, and just how much your love has been poured out on them. Lord, we thank you for this day in your precious Holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So when, when I got asked to speak, I was really excited because this has been a, this has been a good week. But what, what God has been leading me to, to preach on, um, I really wanted some visual aids. And so there is a whiteboard up here for those who can't see, and it'll be on the screens. But before we get into there, I wanted to take you all the way back to the, to the first reason, the first week of the shipwreck series, and to a thought that I had. So I was sitting there, and I'm, I'm one of these doodlers. I like to doodle when I'm listening to something. And I remember we're in the shipwreck series, and so I started drawing like I did the, the ship, you know, and where it's shortened down relationship. And when, when I did that, I, I drew a boat underneath it and said, we were built for them. And I, I was thinking about, we aren't just created and need relationships, but we were built for relationships. And so I started flipping through my Bible and looking for, for different places where it talked about it. And I mean, to start off with, in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then you flip over to Genesis 2, 18, and it says this. Then the Lord God said, it was not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then, so like, not only in the first part of creation is God saying, building the initial relationships between himself and people and men and other men, but then we jump forward and in Matthew uh, 22, 22 verse 36 through 40, the, this, the Pharisees, um, but it says this in verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And so not only, not only do we see passages of Scripture in the, in the very beginning of the Bible, but we see in Jesus' ministry when he was asked what are the two greatest commandments, that he, he showed that the two greatest commandments were ones that dealt with the relationship first between God and man and then between man and man. And so I was really intrigued by this, and I was really intrigued by what God was going to have me say. I, I was curious about what he wanted me to preach. And today it's really good because 
well, God used the analogy for food, and I love food, so I think that's a great thing. But um, I got to thinking about McDonald's, the Big Mac has their secret sauce, which we all know is like Thousand Island or something like that dressing. Um, but I got to thinking about secret sauces, right? So what do secret sauces do? These secret sauces, they take ordinary meals and they make them special. So let's say you got barbecue, for instance. So you may have some just old plain vinegar-based barbecue, but then you throw in a, you throw in this secret sauce, and I can't tell you what it is because I don't know it's a secret. And so you got the secret sauce, and you take it, and it makes this ordinary, regular meal of barbecue taste u- unique. It's special. And I've thought about relationships, not just dating relationships, but business relationships and just friendships and all this stuff. And I'm like, no one wants to just sit around and say, I have a normal relationship with someone. Yeah, it's, it's going good. It's average. It's like par for the course. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants something special in relationships. They want it to be exciting. They want to know what they're getting into. They want to have a good time. They want to be adventurous. But we don't know how to make relationships work. Well, most of the time. You know, we have a hard time dealing with the, the differences between people and people. And even at times, I have a hard time dealing with relationship between me and God because I'm, I'm a terrible person. I mean, God's going to have to correct me so that I can line up with his scripture because I'm different. And so when I was thinking about this secret sauce and how it makes it special, I was like, God, what's your secret sauce? And he brought me to, to the passage that we're going to read today. Now, forewarning, all of the purple tabs are Bible verses, so we're going to be flipping a lot. But the, the main passage we're coming out of is going to be Second Peter verses 1 through 15. So go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to explain while you're turning there a little bit about this board, all right? And so I, if you can't see it, it will be up on the screen in a little bit. But we're going to look at what Scripture says. We're going to look at God's basis for these things, for these characteristics. And then we're going to look at our reality, how they usually play out. So don't jump too far ahead into this, but I just wanted to give you some time to turn there and explain what, what this is going to be about. So we're going to go ahead and hop in. Verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, this is where we're going to get into these characteristics. And it says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent, I messed that up, magnificent promises, so that by then you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have, a, have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by the way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent at, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So that's, that's a lot. But I, I feel like in, in verses 5 and s- through 7, we get the not-so-secret sauce to relationships. All right? But I want to give you the big idea first. And the big idea normally is something that is very catchy that you're going to remember. And I felt like um, it's going to be different this week. And so the big idea... The reason why we're going through this is 2 Peter 1.3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through, a, through the, knowledge, the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. It's his divine power that we're going to rely on. It's his divine power that allows us to live a true and godly life. One with purpose, one with, with beneficial relationships. And because of that, we're going to look at these seven, these seven characteristics, characteristics. I hope you can read my handwriting. I'm sorry if you can't. Like I said, it's on the board. But I want to I break these down and kind of go through them and explain to you what, what really happens in our relationships. See, a lot of times when Scripture says moral excellence, for instance, that's the first one the first ingredient to our not-so-secret sauce. God's basis, where he gets that from, that moral excellence, it comes from his word. Because his word is the one that proves it. It's the one that shows us how to live. For instance, if you turn over to Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. From there, you can look at many different things from the Beatitudes to personal relationships and lust and how that God's moving that, giving to the poor, how to take care of anxiety, judging others. You know, what, what tends to happen, and, and I see this a lot in, even in my life, and this is something that God's cor- trying to correct in me, but I'm called to live with moral excellence. But if I, if I lose sight of God's word, the reality I, I get is that I have justified morality. You see, because I say, well, hey, I may, I may have said something behind his or her back. That's gossip, by the way. But, you know, at least I didn't punch him. I didn't physically hurt him. Or, I, yeah, I, I may have looked at something, but at least I didn't go out and sleep with someone. All of that is justified morality. It's saying... It's me saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, you know, I'm, I may have messed up, but I'm not that bad. But if, 
if this moral excellence is based in God's word, this has no point in even being here. It shouldn't even be a part of our reality because we should be based in our true knowledge of God. His divine power should be allowing us to live a moral excellent life that is focused on his word. And we don't have to worry about making the morality our own. It's not my basis. It's not based on how good Adam is. It's not based on what, it's not even based on what Adam's interpretation of the word is. We can only base it off of what God's word says. That's how we become morally excellent. And so then we go into this, this second ingredient of the not so secret sauce. And that's knowledge. And the reason that I'm saying ingredient is because if you pay attention back in, in 2 Peter, he didn't just he, Peter didn't just call us to have some of these. He said, for this very reason, also applying all diligence, all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. Right. So so as you as you take these, it's an ingredient adding it in to make this not so secret sauce to make us have beneficial relationships that are fruitful. And so knowledge. Right. Where does where does knowledge begin? And so, looking through here, I, I turned over to, the, to Proverbs 2, verse 6. And it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, in relationships, we think we know it all. We think we have it down pat. I thought I did. So let, let me tell you about this. Um, when I was just a few years younger, like four or five, my own mother told me that she would not date me. She said, if, if I was a teenage girl, I would not date you. And I was like, dang, like, you want to take a hit to the heart, tell you, have your mom tell you, there's no way I would date you. That is terrible. Like, I don't know if y'all get that. And I have a really sweet mother. Like, she's not mean. She was just being honest. But the reality was that I had some knowledge about how to live in relationships, but I was still working on it. Now, my mom has since said that I've grown up a little bit. I've matured, and I have a little bit more knowledge. And so I, I'm doing better with these relationship things. But, I, I mean, it, it hit me hard because my reality was I had my knowledge, which had a little bit of sprinkle in God's truth, but in relationships, it wasn't completely based in God's truth. And see, if we want to have moral excellence, we have to have knowledge. We have to listen to God. You see, Proverbs 2, 6 said that from the mouth of God comes wisdom, comes uh, knowledge and understanding. If we're not constantly seeking God in relationships, we're going to be missing out. <clears throat> Then, 2 Timothy, I mean, y'all may know this verse, but I love it, uh, one no, 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. See, it's, it's one thing to read it and hear knowledge, but it's another thing to live it out in reality. And so I, as Adam, had to, had to go back to the basics, back to where God was building this foundation for me 
to have knowledge. And I had to listen to his word and what he said about relationships, about what he said about how to treat people. And that, that's radically changed my, my life. And then, and then we're going to add on to this knowledge and moral excellence. We're going to add self-control. It's the third ingredient. And this is a big one. Like self-control was a, a big deal because, it, I mean, there's so many implications. But as I, was, as I was prepping and praying, I realized that self-control, contrary to what, it, what the word physically means, is really based in God's dominion over my life. So, so you, may, you, may not be, you may not be following me. It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord, right? It's another thing to say Jesus is Lord of my life. Because I can say the words Jesus is Lord all day long. But if I don't walk out these doors and live it, nothing's changed. But it's different when I say Jesus is Lord of my life. Because at that point, when, when things come along and they attack me, and I'm like, I know I shouldn't be doing that. My reality is not I have to rely on my control. My reality is that I rely on God's control over my life. I'm looking to him saying, God, should I go here? God, should I stay away from this place? God, should I associate myself with this person? Or God, should I hang out with that person? And God's dominion over my life, his control, his ability to, to lead me and direct me helps me to understand the control that I have to have over myself because myself is bad. Apart from God, myself is, is horrible. It needs to be thrown away. It needs to be discarded. But the difference is, is when the Holy Spirit comes in, God makes his home in yourself, that yourself, the old self goes away, the new self comes, and God has dominion over your life. And, and so as I was thinking about that, whew, I, man, I'm telling you, it's, whew, all right, so as I was thinking about this and just what it, what it means to, to really have this, this self-control, I, I read, like, I went back so many verses this week for what I was going to preach on, and, um, and, and God just gave this section to me, but, uh, this, this one passage in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, just painted, painted this whole self-control. I just marked it out. Painted this whole self-control as being God's dominion so beautifully. So it's Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, and it says this. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, what are, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit, commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor the, your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, this, this rich young ruler, he had what most people would consider self-control. I mean, he, he lived according to the commandments. He kept them from a young age. And, and he was living a good life. He was prosperous. It looks like God was blessing him. But what was happening was his dominion, this right here, was nothing but money and property and finances. That, that whole thing just engulfed him. And what he couldn't do is take his dominion and say, God, I want, you, I want it to be yours. He couldn't give it up. He was too attached. He had, he had self-control over many other areas, but he couldn't, he couldn't give up that property. And, and I don't know if y'all have like, been putting this together as they build. They really relate so well to one another. And obviously I didn't do it because God wrote this out. But I'm like, well, if this is a hard thing to do, to be self-controlled, then how do I persevere? And so I realized in relationships, in, in the bad part, what I try to work on when, when things get bad is I focus on my strength because I can take the load. I can, I can take the, the hard times. I can take the troubles. I know how much I can take. So put it on my back. Let me carry it. Let me, let me walk out with it. But that's not how God wants us to base this perseverance. And so in 2 Corinthians verses 9 through 12, chapter 12, 9 through 10, sorry, it says, and he said to me, so this is when Paul was battling, having this thorn in his flesh, he asked, he asked God to take it away, God said no, um, and, we, and we said, and here verse 9 it says, and he said, this is God speaking to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected, perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, and with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, if we truly believe that our our weakness allows God to work his power through us, then this perseverance is no longer aligned with our strength, but it's absolutely aligned with his. Because I don't have to rely on how much Adam can take. I don't have to rely on how much Adam can build up and work towards and get through. I don't have to worry about running through a wall, but I have to worry about how much, God, how much strength God has. And it's unlimited. He can take care of everything. And so when it comes to perseverance, if I base myself in God's strength, then I don't have to worry about running out and getting broken. I can fall on my face in front of him 
and know that he's going to take care of me. And then, then we, we jump down to, to godliness. And, and I thought about this because I've been having conversations this week about holiness and, and how we are supposed to live as holy. And I'm like, I can't live holy. I can do good deeds, but that's just a piece of it. That is a small piece of it. But I can't, I can't make myself holy. It only comes from God's holiness. God is the one who makes us holy. And in 1 Peter, so it's just a couple pages back. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Making sure that's right. Sorry. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which you were which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, in God's sight, I can't make myself holy. The the only thing that I can do for my sins in in my relationship with God, apart from Jesus, apart from what Christ did on the cross, is suffer for them. I can live this life, I can die, I can go to hell and suffer for the sin because for the wages of sin is death. And so that is what I can do for myself. That is how I can make myself good. But God said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a holiness transplant. I'm going to take what my son did on the cross and I'm going to cover you in it. You don't have to just be worried about what's going to happen, but you can allow my holiness to cover you, and you don't have to worry about your good deeds getting you anywhere. Now, don't, don't mishear me, because these good deeds, they will come because of God's holiness. Like, when you experience God's holiness, when you experience what he's done in your life, who Jesus is, and how he died on the cross to save you from your sins, when you get that, those good deeds come, because you can't help but tell people about Jesus. You can't help but show them the one who took away your sins so that you can know him, so that you could share his love with the world. You don't want people to see your bad deeds. You want to get rid of those. You want to have these good deeds so that these people see them and like, hey, why are you so good all the time? What, what hope do you have? Why, why, are you, why are you able to live the way you live? Well, it's because God's holiness covered my life. It's nothing I did. It's not because I'm a good person or I can stand up here and rattle off things. It's all because of what God did, what he did with his son, how he sent him to die for our sins so that we could walk this world and show them the love and mercy of Christ so that we could show them that if they don't accept the love and mercy of Christ that comes from his sacrifice, then there is going to be a debt to pay in hell. Because God is a just God. And you can't take a holy God who is rightfully just, righteous and just, and not have a payment for sin. For the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. When he gives you his son, Jesus, it's all that holiness completely covering you so that you can know, so that you can know where you're going to go. So that you don't have to worry about this holiness, your good deeds covering your sins. But you know the Holy One of God who came to save us is going to stand there and say, this is my child. You know that he's justified you, but you know that if people don't accept God's holiness, that they're going to die and go to hell. And you want to share that with the world, not because, not because you're focused on your good deeds, but because you want to tell them about the present. 
right? Like, do you get this? I mean, so Jeremy in the back, I'm sorry, this isn't quite the right time, but I'm going to throw it up there. Um, This week, I had an incredible opportunity. On Tuesday, my life changed forever. I proposed and I asked my girlfriend to be my fiance. It, it changed my life. And let me tell you, I had that ring two days after Christmas. It, I proposed on the 15th. That meant I spent like 18 days with this ring. Now, thank the Lord it was not in my house because I would not have stopped looking at it. But I could not, I could not wait to, to tell her the good news. Now, granted, I had to ask her first to get the good news, but I could not wait to show her what God had done, how God had set me up, had told me to pray, had led me to fast. And so when I stepped up to drop a knee right there, I knew what the answer was going to be because God had told me, because I was able to focus on him. But I can't tell you how excited I was to give her this ring. I worked hard. I spent good money. I was like, this is one of the biggest purchases I've made so far, like apart from living, like this is a big deal. I'm excited. And so this past weekend, I'm like, I mean, more people are starting to hear about it because I'm having to get people off work and all this stuff. But I couldn't wait to tell her. I mean, I'm telling you, this whole weekend was just, I mean, not this weekend, last weekend was horrible. I mean, I got to spend a weekend with my my now fiance. She did say yes, in case y'all were wondering. But um, I got to spend that weekend with her, but I was like, how am I not going to tell her? Like, we're two days away. It's Sunday. I'm proposing on Tuesday. How am I not going to tell her? I told my mom on the drive up there how excited I was. I felt like my stomach was going to bust, not because I was nervous, but because I couldn't wait to tell her. It was good news. And let me tell you, as good as, as this is, and she knows this part, she knows that we're, we're good, But as good as we are, there is nothing that compares to God's holiness. And so if if you want to share some good news, don't go out here saying, oh, my goodness, look what they did. Go share about what God did, how he's changing you. Ooh, I got to move on. All right. So brotherly kindness. We go from godliness to brotherly kindness. And uh, so we're going to jump way back here. Genesis 2. And so you're going you're gonna to have to let me piece together some parts for you. Genesis 2 verse 7 says this. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. All right. So then we jump over to 139, Psalm 139, 13. And it says, for you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And then, Matthew 10, 30. I know, I'm sorry, I'm like jumping really quickly, but it says this. It says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. All right, so I would encourage you to go back and look at those verses and study them in context. But brotherly kindness is not based on our vision for other people 
It is based on God's vision for other people. And those three verses right there are pretty intimate details about how God views us. I mean, there's, this whole book is about how God loves us and how his son came for us so that we could have relationship with him. This brotherly kindness means that I don't see the person who just offended me. I don't let this offense wreck our relationship. But instead I say, I see how God's seeing them with forgiveness. I, I know God's seeing me with forgiveness because there's a lot of things he had to forgive. But how, how, how would the world look if we stopped looking at other people in our relationships with our vision saying, oh, well, they hurt me, so I'm not going to deal with them. But instead said, hey, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you forgiveness. And how many times would, I mean, it was said in, in the Gospels just over and over and over. I can't remember the number, but it's like 77 times 7 or something like that. I mean, it's, it, it's something outrageous to the point that I'm like, I would never want to do that. But God's vision for people he, he, wants to, he wants us to show them this brotherly kindness, this brotherly affection. And then that leads us into love. All right, so don't, don't freak out on me yet. But the basis of love is God's will for all people. The reality is we live it out with our conditional love. Well, I'll, I'll love you as long as you take care of my dog. I'll love you as long as you help me out. I'll love you as long as you scratch my back, right? As long as I can get something from it. That's just absurd. I mean, we would not expect to do that in a relationship. I mean, I can tell you, if she only knew my love because of what she could do for me, she would be gone. She would not, she would not want to be there because my love would be conditional. My love is conditional. I mean, not that she doesn't do stuff. Don't. I got you. <laughs> took, it took a minute to click. It took a minute to click. Not, not, that, not that she doesn't help me out and that she is not kind to me and love me. No, she is. But because of my love, it would be conditional. And at that point, who wants that? Who wants to have to work for love? But God's will is that all people are loved by him. And so, first, first Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it's, it says this. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain at, on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. One second. I read these verses, and that one was, was not going to 
we're going to just skip that because it did not say what I read at home. It's amazing. This book's how old? And it just changed on me. Just, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It didn't. That, that was totally a mistake on my part. So just gloss over that. All right, so we're going to jump to Matthew 25, 40, 2 Timothy. All right, let's, let's see if I, if I got some crowd help here with 2 Timothy. Whew, y'all going to make a man sweat, I'm telling you. 2 Timothy, verses uh, 2, 1 through 4. All right, and it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is sounding very similar. Um, <laughs> yeah, huh? That's chapter one, and it says, "I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience." No, we're all right. We're just gonna skip it. You know, somehow, somehow, I totally jacked that up, and we're gonna. I'm sweating like crazy. Whew. We're gonna just throw that to the side. All right, so Matthew 25, 41. Oh, God, I hope you're working. <laughs> it says, so, all right, this one I know is going to work. I don't have to make it work. God's already made it work. The love is based in God's will. Well, you say if that's the case, then how are people going to hell? Well, you got to look at the origination for where hell was, who hell was created for. So Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will say also, he will also say to those on his left, these are people, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. See, our our loving God, um, his will is not that people would go to hell. His desire is that people would come to know him so that they could experience his unconditional love. They're, they're, I mean, he, he loves us so greatly that we don't even have to worry about it. And so I, I want to, if I can do this without breaking anything, I want to show you how these seven characteristics should play out in our relationships. Y'all don't know how nervous I am, I'm telling you. It didn't break, so we're good. All right, so I do have to apologize because this is not going to be on the screen. But if we read on into Second into Second Peter, it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They render you neither useless or unfruitful. So that means we're going to be fruitful and useful with our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So how does, how does that work? How does that become beneficial to relationships? Because so far all I've done is just tell you about the not-so-secret sauce. But how does, it, how does it work with relationships? So I, I've got, you know, God's up here. And then I'm down here. I'll move out of the way so everybody can see. All right? So God, God created, oh, hey, there I am. So through Jesus, we've got, we've got this relationship, all right? 
So God sent his son to us. We receive salvation and now have relationship with him. Now God is pouring his Holy Spirit into us and we are having conversation with him and then it's just over and over and over and over again. Right? All right, cool. So then over here, like way across the world, not, not too far, just the other end of Stanley County, we've got God. And then, uh, I told her I was going to use her as an example, so don't worry. My fiance, Chantel. All right? So, and she's got this relationship with God because God did the same thing with her. He, he sent his son for her. He has a relationship with her through salvation where she talks to him and we have, again, this relationship. Now, what, what God has went and done and made things really interesting and not only allowed us to have relationship with him, but now we have relationship with each other. This can be friendships. This can be marriage. This can be business relationships. It doesn't just have to be a dating or engaged relationship. This, this can be all kinds of our relationships. But if you think back to the big idea, first, second Peter 1, 3, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So if, if we want to have a, if we want to have a relationship, any type of relationship together, then it's got to be God's divine power that allows us to live a godly and holy life. All right? So get this. No, I can't use that one. Y'all would freak out if I use my sweaty, my sweaty rag to clean this off. Y'all may not, but the people I'm borrowing this board from might. <laughs> All right. Now, I did not just delete God from this equation. Don't worry. All right. So if, if we're going to have a relationship, what we're going to do, and this is, this is what we're trying to do. Because we are engaged, at some point we'll be married, and God needs to be at the center. He has to be our focus for who's living in this relationship. So we're going to go ahead and put God up here, right where he belongs. Because he deserves to be at the top of each of our lives independently. But in this union he's creating, he also deserves to be at the top of that there too. Alright? And so we can't forget our relationships because... Because we have to, we still have to have our own independent relationships. I'm not going to be saved because of her, and she's not going to be saved because of me. We're going to be saved because of what Jesus did for us in our relationship. That's how we communicate with God, because she can't rely on me to communicate with God. That's a whole other story and another different sermon, right? But let me show you what happens. We can have a good relation, good relationship all day long, but we ain't getting any closer. When we take these secret sauces, the not-so-secret sauce that I'm, I'm giving to you today, and we say, all right, we need to allow God to give us and make us holy, then we're both independently going to be working our way to God. So now... Now what happens, ooh, it's turning on me, 
All right, so now what happens is as we grow in our own relationships with God, my handwriting just got bad. Notice this. The closer we get to to God, the closer we become to each other. Right? So if, if we want to have if we want to have relationships with people, the not so secret sauce to these relationships, if we want to be effective and useful, and the band can go ahead and come up now. And um if we want to be effective and useful, then we have to keep these in the front of our mind. But if we, if we lack these qualities, if we're not living with these seven ingredients in our life, in our relationships, then we're forgetting what he's done for us. I mean, who would, who would choose to go back to that life? I mean, when you know how good God is, who would... Who would choose to go back to it? I mean, no one, because you know how good God is. But Satan sneaks in there, and he's going to try and pull you back. He's going to try and drag you away. He's going to say, man, Adam, it's not really that good. It's a lot of work. It's really hard. You, you know, it's a lot easier just to take it easy back here. Well, it's not true, because the pain that you're going to go through when you're sitting back allowing Satan to feed you those lies is not worth it. You're forgetting what Jesus has done for you and how he is wanting to, to just, I mean, he's for, those words, man, you can't make them up. They're so good. It says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. I don't know about you guys, but the sins that I used to do 10 years ago, I don't want to go back to them because I don't want to have to go through the whole 10-year process it took to get me here. Right? Like, it is not fun to have to go back and work yourself through the process every day. It's not easy. It's difficult. And so we have to, we have to focus God at the center of our relationships. Now, go all the way back to, to the beginning of this message. I started out with why. Why did God create us for relationships? Why are we built for relationships? And I explained to you all of this, and and uh, I've quoted to you the passage in Matthew where the Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And he said, the first is love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I got those out of order. There we go. And then the second is like it, and it says that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. God established the relationship here first between him and ourselves. And then he said, all right, now go love your neighbors. So he established it between this neighbor and that one. And so anytime you and someone else have a relationship together, that's automatically a triangle. You just throw Jesus at the top where he deserves to be. And as you grow closer to him, then you're going to grow closer together. Because He's going he's gonna to make you see things that you didn't realize. He's going to change these things. He's going to say, there's some secret ingredients here that Adam's lacking. It's the reason his life of pasta makes no sense. Right? 
There's a reason because he's got to add this. He's got to add self-control. He's got to have moral excellence. He's got to have knowledge. But they can't just be all based in his reality. They have to be based on God's basis. What God said was true for these things. And so the band is about to, to lead us in a, in a worship song. If I'm not mistaken, it's draw near. Like, this is a perfect song for us to say, God, there's some misaligned stuff in my life. There is a part of the secret sauce in my life, God, that I need you to, to fix. I need you to change it. I need you to change my relationships with people so that we can know that they're going to be good and fruitful and beneficial and useful for you, God. And so as they sing, as they worship, as we worship, they're not going to be the only ones, but I want you guys to, I mean, if you, if you need prayer, tap the person beside you. If you want a good way to start a relationship, a friendship, there's a bunch of people in this room right now that you can just tap and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can you help me out? I'm going through a struggle. Will you pray for me? If you, if you want to come up here and you want to be prayed for, that's all good and all. But I'm saying the body can be active where it's at. So if you, if you need somebody to pray for you, just ask them. Say, God, we're going to start with you at the beginning of this relationship. I may not know my neighbor right here, but they're going to pray for me, and we're going to say that you're at the top so that you can do the, all the handling of this thing. You can set it right. So draw us near, God. Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us. Just thank you for the opportunity to be able to come to share a message that you've poured into me, God. Lord, I ask that the, the words would not go out and return void, but God, that your word would absolutely stir up people's hearts to come to you, God, that they would draw nearer to you, God, that they would have useful and beneficial relationships, God, for you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen.